God Conversations with Tanya Harris. So let me ask you that question. What does God tell me? <laughs> well, you know, thunder, lightning. <laughs> Mother Teresa, someone asked her, when did God speak to you? And she said, whenever he wants. So essentially the Bible is a collection of God Conversations, if you like. I had a vision of a car accident and I'm sitting on the couch thinking, why have I just seen this? How could I know if God was speaking to me? How could I know that that or that thought was actually just me thinking about, oh, that's that's a bad pizza. Jesus said we'd recognise his voice. It was never meant to be a one-way conversation. The concept of hearing God's voice for yourself bears enormous potential, but it's also fraught with pitfalls. Indeed, the entire scope of history tells of the problems associated with claims to divine revelation. Horrid tales of manipulation, deception and even murder have all been justified by the claim, God told me. The proliferation of a wide range of unorthodox beliefs and abuses of power have been so heinous, it's not surprising that many church leaders throw their hands up in the air and reject any idea of personal communication with God. The dynamic experience given at Pentecost not only has the power to bring God's kingdom to earth, but it can also work astoundingly against it. How are we to harness the potential of hearing God experiences in our churches and deal with the problems that arise from them? Hi, and welcome to the God Conversations podcast. My name is Tanya Harris, and I'm a pastor, practical theologian, author, and the founding director of God Conversations, a ministry that equips you to recognize and respond to God's voice. Well, today's podcast is all about looking at the problems associated with hearing God's voice. It's the second of a three-part series that features readings from my new book, The Church Who Hears God's Voice, equipping everyone to recognize and respond to the Spirit. Here at God Conversations, we are just super excited about this book because my goal is to address many of the questions about hearing God's voice. Having travelled all around the world, talked to many people from very different traditions and different cultures and countries, the questions tend to be the same. So in the book, I look at the good stories as well as the bad ones, the tricky issues surrounding this crucial area of the Christian life. Here's a little bit of a snapshot of what the book is like from the trailer. There's nothing quite like hearing God's voice for yourself. You may have heard some stories. A person hears from God and healing flows. Another sees a vision of the future and it unfolds before their eyes. There's a wow factor. God seems so real. People's lives are forever changed. But you may have heard the bad stories too. Broken dreams, divided congregations, and even false cults. History tells the terrible tales of abuse associated with the claim, God told me. So how do we hear God's voice? How do we know it's God? What does hearing the Spirit outside Scripture mean for Scripture itself? And what does all this look like in the life of the church? In my book, I bring history, theology and real-life experience from my PhD research together to answer these questions. The Church Who Hears God's Voice provides both a comprehensive theology and a pastoral strategy for building a community where everyone can hear from God in ways that are theologically orthodox and pastorally safe. 
Jesus sent his spirit to be his continuing voice on the earth. Every time the spirit spoke to the early church, disciples were formed, miracles happened, and God's mission was fulfilled. God is still speaking by his spirit. This book will equip you to continue that mission by being the church who hears God's voice. We begin today with a reading from chapter three. Uh, this chapter is called The Ministry Problems of Hearing God's Voice. There are three problems that I talk about in the book, all of which are addressed throughout the body of the writing. So this is a little bit of an entree before you choose to enjoy the main meal. I hope it's a blessing to you. Chapter three, the ministry problems of hearing God's voice. Joseph's vision of light. Joseph set his mind to seek God early on in his teens. He had heard about the revival meetings in his hometown in western New York State and longed to know more. But he was confused about which church was right for him. Some argued for the Methodists, others for the Presbyterians, still others for the Baptists. Inspired by the teaching in the book of James that if you lack wisdom, you should ask for it, Joseph ventured out into the woods near his home to pray. As he knelt on the ground, he experienced a startling vision. Thick darkness fell around him, and he was struck mute by a bolt of power. Then a pillar of light appeared, and in it, Joseph saw a vision of Jesus and the Father. As the light descended, he experienced a profound sense of God's forgiveness for his sins. During his vision, Joseph asked God the question that had been constantly on his mind, which church should I attend? In response, he heard Jesus say that none of them were part of God's kingdom. The message of God had been corrupted since the time of the early apostles. And Joseph would be the one who would restore this truth to the church. Three years later, Joseph received another revelatory experience. In a dream, an angel named Moroni told him about a set of golden plates buried under a tree. When Joseph later discovered them, he found that they were inscribed with ancient writings, which only he was able to translate with the aid of a special seer stone revealed in another revelatory experience. The plates described the religious history of an ancient American civilization to whom Jesus had appeared. Seven years later, Joseph published an English translation of the plates, calling it the Book of Mormon. This and other works were compiled to address the corruption of the Bible. It was 1830, and the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, the Mormons, was born. Over the next 10 years, the Mormon church expanded across a number of American states. Growth was rapid, but not without its troubles. Persecution arose from both inside and out, with members of the leadership team jostling for position based on competing revelations. Joseph responded with claims of further revelation from Moses and the apostles Peter, James and John. As 
God's self-proclaimed ordained prophet, an apostle, akin to Elijah and Moses. He maintained that he alone had the ability to provide doctrine and scripture for the church and was only acting on divine authority. Why persecute me for telling the truth, he wrote. I have actually seen a vision, and who am I that I can withstand God? Or why does the world think to make me deny what I've actually seen? For I've seen a vision. I knew it, and I knew that God knew it, and I could not deny it. The concept of hearing God's voice for yourself bears enormous God-given potential, but it's also fraught with pitfalls. And as in Joseph's case, these are serious pitfalls. Today, the Church of Latter-day Saints numbers in the millions and is believed by its followers to be the only true church in a sea of apostasy. Unorthodox teachings such as baptism for the dead, polygamy, distortions of the Trinity and the attainment of Godhood all come from the personal revelations of one man, Joseph Smith. Indeed, the entire scope of history tells of the problems associated with claims to divine revelation. These are more than just theological. Torah tales of manipulation, deception and even murder have all been justified by the claim, God told me. The dynamic experience given at Pentecost not only has the power to bring God's kingdom to earth, but it can also work astoundingly against it. If we are to harness the potential of hearing God in our churches, we need to identify the problems that arise from the experience and the reasons for them. In this chapter, we expose the ugly side of hearing God's voice in order to pave the way for solutions. Specifically, we look at the three most significant problems of revelatory experience. Breaches in theological orthodoxy, pastoral fallout, and the third, institutional instability. We also describe the attempts to address these problems and explain why they fail so miserably. Number one, breaches in theological orthodoxy. Joseph Smith's story illustrates the first problem we have in hearing God's voice. Because revelatory experiences act as a claim to divine authority, they can be used to challenge the teachings of traditional Christianity. The advent of Mormonism is not an isolated case. The religion of Islam began in the early 7th century when a man named Muhammad, who was disillusioned with his experience of Judaism and Christianity, claimed to receive new revelations via the angel Gabriel in a cave. He also asserted that the scriptures had been corrupted and that his experiences, now transcribed as the Quran, offer the correct version of events. In terms of day-to-day church life, however, the kind of claims made by Muhammad and Joseph Smith are rare. It's unlikely that a member of our churches will stand up and declare an idea that overtly contravenes fundamental Christian teaching. While there have been plenty of theological debates throughout church history, as seen in the proliferation of denominations, the essential core has always been maintained. Yet, since revelatory experience represents a claim to divine authority, 
it still poses a significant threat. The problem of false teaching has confronted the church since its beginnings, and the possibility of every person hearing from God only compounds the threat. The most common solution to the problem of breaches in theological orthodoxy is to reject the hearing God experience entirely. This was the strategy of the Reformation. The Reformers' answer to the misuse of revelatory experience in the Catholic Church was to completely shut it down. However, this response betrays the teaching of the New Testament. The problem is not with the experience itself. We see this in another testimony from a contemporary of Joseph Smith. A year after Smith's first vision, a second young man retreated to the woods in search of God. Like Joseph, Charles Finney was inspired by the words of Scripture, If you seek me, you will find me. After spending the day in prayer, Charles experienced a vision of Jesus at home in his room. Though it was dark, the room appeared as perfectly light. Finney's experience radically changed his life. He relinquished his law practice and became a full-time minister in the Presbyterian Church. Later, he became a prominent revivalist and advocated for a wide range of social reforms, including the abolition of slavery and the promotion of universal education. It should be no surprise that both Joseph Smith and Charles Finney's revelations came during the Second Great Awakening. This was a time when the Spirit was moving powerfully in North America. There were revival camp meetings, Wesleyan circuit riders spreading the gospel, and radical conversions in all the Presbyterian, Methodist, and Baptist churches. 50,000 people made decisions to follow Jesus every week. This was also an era of experiential fervour. Visions, dreams, and prophetic revelations were commonplace. The fact that Joseph Smith and Charles Finney had visionary experiences was not so unusual. It's likely that the experiences of Joseph and Charles were both real to them. Both incidents had a profound impact on their lives and those around them. However, their message had very different outcomes for the church. According to Orthodox Christianity, one got it right and one got it wrong. God may have been speaking, but so too were other voices. Where did it go wrong for Joseph? The solution cannot be to reject spiritual experience entirely. If that had been the choice of the 19th century American church, Charles Cole would have been invalidated and the awakening movement might never have happened. Instead, the spotlight must fall on how experiences are discerned and where the boundaries of orthodoxy stand. The early church points us in this direction. They too had problems with unorthodox teaching. And as in 19th century America, some of those claims were due to revelatory experiences. The solution then, as it is now, was not to dismiss them, but to discern them. As John wrote, we are not to believe every spirit, but to test them to see whether they're from God. The process of discernment is vital for the New Covenant Church. 
This process must be clear and accessible and must allow the standard theological orthodoxy to be maintained. The issue is so important, we devote three chapters to it in this book. Number two, pastoral fallout. The second problem of revelatory experience is the issue of pastoral fallout. Our spirit-talking experiences may be theologically acceptable, but they can still lead to pastoral headaches. People can intentionally manipulate spiritual experience for their own ends, or they can just plain get it wrong. Either way, the potential for harm is devastating. In Nigeria, the leader of the terrorist organisation Boko Haram kidnapped 250 teenage girls, declaring that God told him to do it. In the USA in the early 1990s, an ex-pastor shot dead a doctor outside an abortion clinic under the auspices of a divine directive. For the average church leader, the pastoral challenges are likely to be on a smaller scale, but they can still have grave consequences. There may be the overzealous person who seems to hear from God every moment of the day and can't make a decision without it. The infertile couple whose promise of a child leads to overwhelming disappointment month after month. The doe-eyed teenager who claims God told her she would marry the youth pastor and loses her faith when he marries someone else. Experiences such as these can be so damaging that people walk away from God forever. It's these kinds of situations that typically represent the greatest headache for pastors and leaders. They tend to be seen most frequently in the Pentecostal branches of the church. In his book, Thus Saith the Lord, American minister John Bevere labels current prophetic ministry as a church-wide crisis. He details a damning list of the effects of counterfeit prophecy. Broken marriages, dashed hopes, divided congregations, unrealizable promises, terrorized pastors, rebellion, despair, guilt, and discouragement. Of course, these primarily relate to the operation of prophecy, where one person hears from God on behalf of another. But the problems remain much the same. The mishandling of revelatory experiences can lead to disappointment and dysfunction, manipulative behaviour and power struggles. Too often they pander to human desires and the idols of the heart. One poorly discerned experience can derail a person's faith, their family and even a church. Indeed, the devastating extent of pastoral damage has been used by some as an argument against the legitimacy of hearing God's voice at all. In many churches, the solution to this problem has been to restrict the revelatory experience. Thus, hearing God becomes relegated to the domain of leaders and experts. The experience becomes limited to the public service where leaders can closely monitor every prophetic act. Sometimes this means that hearing from God is only encouraged when a guest prophet visits and is trusted to hear from God on behalf of others. In other cases, hearing from God may be encouraged outside the public domain, but parishioners still have to check in with their pastors about every experience they have. While these strategies are employed with good intentions, ultimately to protect our congregations, 
restricting the revelatory experience to leaders and the public gathering thwarts the democratic intent of the new covenant. The universal outpouring of the Spirit at Pentecost means that we do not need a church leader, prophet or a public service to hear from God. What's more, pastoral supervision is not possible if the Spirit speaks while we're driving to work or sleeping in our beds. Restricting discernment to leadership also implies that the leader is hearing from God for every individual in their congregation. This approach inadvertently sends us back to the Old Covenant where you had to rely on someone else to hear God's voice. While opening up to the revelatory experience certainly invites the risk of pastoral fallout in our churches, if the experience is from God, it will always be for our good. If the Spirit is truly speaking, we will be led into truth. Hence, as in the case of breaches in theological orthodoxy, the solution is not to restrict the Spirit's voice, but rather to implement a process of discernment that is accessible to all. This process must allow for experiences outside the public domain. It must also clarify the role of the church leader. I hope you've enjoyed this excerpt from my new book, The Church Who Hears God's Voice. The rest of the chapter goes on to discuss the third issue, institutional instability. And then throughout the book, we continue to address those three problems and provide solutions for them. In fact, when I was writing the book, I really felt the Holy Spirit say, tackle the hard stuff head on. Be very honest about it. Be very open about it. And it's my prayer that because we d- we tackle those issues head on, that we find some really great solutions that help us to harness the hearing God experience in the church. Don't forget, whether wherever you are in the world, the book is now available either as a hard copy or as an e-book. You can go to godconversations.com forward slash books to find out more. Thanks for listening today. I pray it's been a blessing to you. Thanks for listening to God Conversations with Tanya Harris. Don't miss the next episode by subscribing to the show on your favourite podcast app. And remember, the Holy Spirit was given so we could all hear God's voice. It was never meant to be a one-way conversation.